Welcome to King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I'm Dr. Phil, and this is... It's been quite a week... Um, as Pastor Harmon in his prayers this morning, he remembered the horrific storms and flooding in the Midwest. Uh, he mentioned the horror of the shooting in New Zealand next week. Uh, and we don't have to go far in our own lives to find evidence that uh, we live in a, in a world that carries along with it many reasons to be afraid and fearful. We are Christians, so we have a different perspective on things. Uh, this particular class, if you uh, can turn to, to uh, this handout, I'm going to go over once again the objectives of this course so that all of us can have um, uh, be on the same footing in terms of what we're trying to do. At the end of the class, participants will have been introduced to the challenge that the problem of evil presents to society and government, uh, the reason that we have departments of public safety, the reason that we have fire departments and EMS squads at the ready, the reason that we have our national defense team uh, that's symbolized by the Pentagon and that has a real presence in the Tidewater area. Uh, in terms of, of society, uh, we know that uh, there is continuing of concern about the poor and the marginalized. Uh, you can pick up a, uh, and then whoever has a signing thing, make, make sure that whoever, yeah, uh, that, that society presents all kinds of problems. Um, Doctors Hospital and Centera Hospital, why are they there? Uh, why are they among the most recent and most beautiful institutions in our community? It's because we get sick. And, and we, when we get sick, uh, we go to doctors and we avail ourselves of hospitals. Um, the challenge of evil to the philosopher and the theologian, and that's why Philip and I have joined together to take a look at, and today it's going to be specifically the challenge that evil presents to the philosopher. Uh, and then finally to the Christian, uh, we, uh, the hymn uh, that we sang this morning, uh, How Firm a Foundation, When through fiery trials your pathway will lie, my grace all sufficient will be your surprise. The flames will not hurt you, I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. We're going to be coming back later in this class specifically to this verse in terms of, of one of the defenses of the problem of, of the reality of evil in our life. Um, we hope that you will be able to articulate, this is the next point, be able to articulate the mainstreams of Old Testament and New Testament theology as an explanation of and response to evil. I am so excited about next week. 
because it'll be probably the first time that I really address the problem of evil specifically from the standpoint of the Old Testament. And then uh, two weeks after that, I'll be doing the same thing for the New Testament. And there's just no confusion about how the Old Testament and the New Testament deals with evil. It's just very cool. Be introduced to the primary philosophical arguments about a good God and a bad world. Today, there's going to be a lot of that. Understand the importance of theodicy, understanding the why for the Christian. And over on the right-hand side, you see a glossary theodicy, any attempt to defend God in the face of evil or suffering. For example, answering the question, why do bad things happen to good people? That's theodicy. And it's really important that it's in our own lives, as we face those difficult times in our life, that we have a way to incorporate those um, those explosions of evil in our life in a way that uh, preserves our faith in God. That's important. And then finally, celebrate life with a well-seasoned skepticism. If it's too good to be true, <laughs> probably is, you know. And an intrepid hope, you know, that we hope um, with uh, without apology. So, with that, uh, let's begin by reading together the opening prayer that's on your handout sheet this morning. Everybody have one? Together. O Lord my God, who dwellest in pure and blessed serenity beyond the reach of mortal pain, yet lookest down in unspeakable love and tenderness upon the sorrows of earth, give me grace, I beseech thee, to understand the meaning of such afflictions and disappointments as I myself am called upon to endure. Deliver me from all fretfulness. Let me be wise to draw from every dispensation of thy providence the lesson thou art minded to teach me. Give me a stout heart to bear my own burdens. Give me a willing heart to bear the burdens of others. Give me a believing heart to cast all burdens upon thee. Glory be to thee, O Father, and to thee, O Christ, and to thee, O Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so uh, today we're going to talk about um, the problem of evil and um, some responses that uh, Christian philosophers have given to, uh, to the problem of evil. So just as a reminder that we, we discussed this a bit last week, but here's a, here's a formulation of the argument. If there were, were an all-good, all-knowing, all-powerful being, we would not observe the evil and suffering that we see in the world. But we do see such evil and suffering. Uh, so there isn't an all-good, all-knowing, all-powerful being, right? So that's just a kind of basic version of the problem, right? Um, so what kinds of uh, suffering um, and evil are we talking about that pose this problem? Uh, so Phil brought up, just from this week, some examples, right? Um, it can be tragedies like a plane crash or a shooting or uh, think about hurricanes, natural disasters that hurt people. Um, but it doesn't have to be big things. It can even be small things. So I remember a couple months after we moved to Williamsburg and my son was about eight months old, and there was one night when he needed to go to sleep 
and he just couldn't fall asleep. And my wife was gone, so I was just listening to him cry as he was trying to fall asleep. It went on for a, a long while, and it just the, it felt so pointless to me. The pointlessness of the summer hit me like, why, you know, God, let him sleep, you know. He's not learning anything from this. He's too young. Just let it, you know, why does he have to suffer? Even though that's not a big thing, right, it's a small thing. You know, a small thing can raise the issue, too. Why is God allowing this uh, evil that I, at least, couldn't see a reason for uh, at that time, right? So it could be big things. It could be small things. Um, the philosopher uh, William Rowe um, provided an example that he, he used to motivate the problem of evil. So Rowe called himself a friendly atheist because he thought there are lots of reasonable people who believe in God, um, but he couldn't believe in God because he was so moved by the problem of evil. Although I, I did learn that he, throughout his life, he sang Christian hymns to himself. So there's something more complicated going on there. I don't know. Um, but he, he gave this kind of famous, uh, at least in philosophy, this fawn scenario. Um, so, in some distant forest, lightning strikes a dead tree, resulting in a forest fire. In the fire, a fawn is trapped, horribly burned, and lies in agony for several days before death relieves its suffering. So, Rose said, look, things like that happen, where an animal, unbeknownst to us, will just suffer for several days. Um, and Rhodes said, that's the kind of evil that we can't see any good reason for God to allow. Why didn't God just immediately take away the pain of the fawn? Why did God let the fawn suffer for several days, right? Um, so, um, and so he thought, look, we can't see there's a, a reason for it, uh, so there probably isn't a reason for it. That was his this line of reasoning. Uh, any thoughts on the fawn scenario? Um, why, do you, why do you equate that with evil? Oh, good. Yeah, good. So, so some people think, look, evil is evil only happens when a person is involved or a moral agent is involved, right? So, when a natural disaster strikes, it's not really an evil, right? Um, so, philosophers tend to use the word evil just to mean really bad things. Um, yeah, but but if you yeah, so you could think of it if you think evil should be restricted to like when someone does something bad, right? Um, then you could think of this. This is the problem of bad things. Why do bad things happen? Um, if God is all good, yeah, yeah, right there. I would say not going back to specific scripture, but it's buying time for people to come to Jesus, mm -hmm. and the pain will go on as long as there's someone out there who hasn't been reached yet. And this, I, I didn't see that opinion, so it's not the utility of this to somebody in the narrow. It's like, mm -hmm. go back and say, first of all, you're not the good twin, you're the evil twin, and you need to buy time for you to repent. And all creation groans, that's through scripture, because the suffering is buying time for somebody somewhere who slept in today, who didn't go to church, but you got to get there, that's the, the fawn burns to death, it's that serious. They all know the love of Jesus, and, and you're, you're, you're your baby, that's all there. The pain of Jesus dying is buying time and saving it. But for us, we can't say anything about it. We can buy time for someone else who hasn't come to Jesus. Interesting. So you're thinking, let's look at the bigger picture here. Is there some reason that God has to allow kind of random suffering to continue on a global scale? Uh, so zoom out from the particular fawn. Um, why does God have to allow 
you know, or maybe God has a reason to allow just suffering to continue worldwide, to buy time for people to, to come around to know him. Or and all your yeah. suffering is then blessed yeah. because you're buying time for someone yeah, good. Sick. Yeah, good. So this connects to one of the defenses we'll, we'll talk about today. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, in talking about your picture of your baby mm-hmm. crying, and you were like, why, why is this child crying? And you, want, you loved this child. You wanted this child. You were looking for the best. For this child, and so in your mind, the best was I hate that I have to do this, but you've got to learn to go to sleep. Right. From being if away. I go and pick him up, it's and not going to Yeah, I'm not right. going to help him. Right. So it didn't mean that you didn't love him. You did love him, but right. you had a desired outcome. Right. And I think that's what happens with. And that's my. So God, because because what I was thinking is, look, I can't help him just go to sleep. God could just make him go to sleep right now. But you're thinking God has some. Reason that that's not the thing well, to do. Well, I think that in, yeah. in all cases, a lot of times, some people need to be woke up. They need to be <laughs> not in case of your job. It's a wake up call. You know, when things happen, you know, to um, realize that maybe we're not in the right place. Oh, yeah, good, yeah. Um, so that can so that could work for a lot of evils. That might be hard in the case of the baby because he's so young. Yeah, yeah. Is he learning? I, I mean, maybe he's learning something that I don't <laughs> understand. <you know? laughs> or some people have said to me, "Well, maybe it was for me. Like it was good for me to be there, experiencing my love for the baby while um, while he was hurting or something like that." You know. Uh, maybe it was designed to teach the fathers with patience. Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that helped me learn to trust God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when I don't see it. Yeah. But in, in a case, I hear everybody saying, you know, learning uh, learning a lesson. Right. And buying time. The little fawn, right. I don't think he's learning any lesson. Yeah, right. That's why the, That's why Roe focused on that case, because it seems like such a hard case. What's the fawn learning? Uh, you can try to say the fawn's building character, but do deer even build character? Yeah. So there has been one Christian philosopher who suggested that, you know, maybe in heaven, you know, fawns will be much smarter and then we'll be able to say I learned something from that, you know. But that seems kind of far-fetched, you know. Um, so it might be, we might not want to have to go that way, you know. Yeah. yeah. With all due respect to William Rowe, yeah. he's... I think he's using faulty logic. He says, he's, he's arguing there's not an all-good, no, all-knowing, all-powerful being. And then he said, since we don't see any reason for God to allow the fawn to suffer, there probably is no reason. So that's saying that we are the all-knowing, all-powerful right. being. Good. So that's, a, that's exactly where a lot of people have objected to him and said, wait a minute, just because we can't see a reason... That doesn't mean there probably is a reason. Maybe we shouldn't expect to see a reason. So that's another another sort of response that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, how did he know the fawn was suffering or so on? So whoever that was reporting on the fawn mm-hmm. and watching the fawn, maybe that lesson was totally for that person mm-hmm. to say, hey, you can't even control this. You need time to really think about what is happening yourself. Very good. So that's a nice dilemma for him. Either somebody did know about it, 
And then it wasn't this distant thing that didn't affect any humans, right? So then maybe we could tell a reason why it happened. Or if nobody knew about it, then how do we know it really happened, that's right. right? So that's your dilemma, right? So I think I think what you'd say is, look, don't you just know that out there sometimes animals animals suffer, um, unbeknownst to us? Don't we just know that out in the woods sometimes animals suffer? Um, and we could say, no, God always re- removes their pain when we don't know about it. Uh, but that's kind of a putting a lot of, you know, on what God does that we might think we don't really know that he does. That. So how many of you have taken your well-loved, faithful pet to the veterinarian to have them put down? So we, we have, you know, we are sentient beings, so we have a sense that in order to end the suffering for this creature, we will prematurely end their life. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, good. Yeah, so then the question, why doesn't God, you know, do that for the fawn, right? If we think, um, so you could say maybe he does and we just don't know, right? Um, but if you think, no, sometimes animals really do suffer out there unbeknownst to us, then then the problem comes back. But I like that, yeah, I like that dilemma, yeah. I mean, it, it strikes me that evil lives. Evil always has been, and, you know, I think for me the question would be, if you came across the fawn in the woods, what would your reaction be? Put it out of its misery, or try to do something about it. It's your reaction. Yeah, good. So my reaction would be, well, I try to help it, but if I can't, then put it out of its misery, right? And then the question is, why doesn't God do that, right? Why doesn't God then put the fox out of its misery? paradise, so if we're heading there. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, did you have a... Go ahead, yeah. I have two more quickies. Sure. Maybe God's trying to teach us how to have empathy. Mm-hmm. And the other question is maybe he's trying to let us know that we don't have to know the answer why all the time. Mm-hmm. Good. So so God allows cases like this in order to, it's kind of like someone said about my baby, maybe I'm learning to trust God. Maybe we're learning to trust God um, when we see, hear, learn about this animal suffering and we don't see why. So that, yeah, that's, that's a, a nice move. Yeah. Yeah, and I had a personal situation with this. I was about 12 and we're living in the country and our our favorite dog, our only dog, uh, was missing for several days, and my brother and my father went out in the woods, and they found the dog was trapped in a fence, a barbed wire fence, and gangrene had already set in, and they had a gun with them, and they put the dog out of its misery, and, and our we were, we were actually relieved that we had found the dog, that it wasn't lost or run over or stolen, and that they could end its suffering. So. Yeah. So that's, yeah, so that's a real-world example of this kind of thing. And, and, and their reaction seems like the right one, end the suffering yeah. of the dog. And then we, then Rose like, well, why doesn't God you know, do that, right? Um, good, so a couple, a couple standard sort of initial responses you hear to the, um, the argument from evil. So one is called the free will response. The free will response just says... Allowing evil is necessary for securing uh, valuable human freedom, right? So, um, look, why does a lot of evil happen? It's because um, it's important to give humans free will, and we're not going to get um, free will if we don't allow for the possibility of evil, for the possibility of bad things, right? Because if people really have free will, then they can make bad things happen sometimes, right? Um, And the second one is called the... um, 
the soul building response. So the idea here is that, built, you know, if God just created us all with really good character, really virtuous, well, that would be nice. But it's better to have built your character over time in response to trials, in response to hardship, you know, you know to have your gold refined, right, um, through experiencing life, experiencing uh, difficulties, right? So uh, the soul-building response says, allowing evil is necessary for securing the good of virtue developed through effort in response to hardship and temptation. And if you're going to have hardship and temptation, then you're going to have some evil, some suffering, right? Uh, yes? This just, this just breaks down for me when it comes to children's suffering. Mm-hmm. I just can't get past that. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping you help me. They're not there to, they're not able to build character yet. Is that the thought? And, and their suffering is their suffering really to teach us a lesson? Right. Good. So some people have said it's not enough if something good comes out of the suffering. Okay. It has to benefit the one who suffers. Right? It would be cruel or unfair of God to just use the the child to teach me something, or to use the fawn to teach me something. If someone suffers, it should benefit the one who uh, suffers, not someone else. So that's a controversial, in the debate about the problem of evil, that's a controversial claim. Some philosophers agree with it, some philosophers think, no, in, look, in real life you can hurt one person to benefit another person. You know, humans can do that sometimes. If, you know, if I could, you know, you know, give Phil a cold to prevent someone else from getting cancer, that would be okay, right? Um, <laughs> so why couldn't God... So some people think um, some people think that's too strong of a claim, but others think, no, look, it wouldn't be fair for God to use one person's suffering just to benefit other other people. Yeah. So, so going back to the fawn, and, and yeah. uh, what would we do? We'd put the fawn out of its misery, or put the dog out of its misery. Why can't we put people who are suffering this is where we get twisted around the act of humanized. Good, yeah, so you could say, I guess, if you think, you know, we don't want to say, you know, active euthanasia is okay, then you say, wait a minute, maybe that's wrong in the case of the fawn as well, right? Um, or you could try to find, so you might think humans have rights or some special dignity that makes it wrong in the human case, but not in the fawn case. Um, but yeah, I think that's a nice, a nice puzzle. Ah, uh, I'm moving yeah. away from <laughs> In terms of the soul, the soul building argument, uh, the verse that I read from How Firm a Foundation, uh, the flame do not hurt you, I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. That comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter, uh, addressing the diaspora, those Christians who were spread all over the world because of the persecution on them, he uh, uses this very imagery that the sufferings that they are going through is a purifying process. That is to make, uh, he says, so the gold, uh, so that your faith, which is much more important than gold, can be refined. And then uh, Hebrews chapter 12 uh, this is uh, starting with verse 4. It starts in the context of struggle against sin. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? 
My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord's discipline, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined for his father? Huh? You know, that, that's one of the things that we feel a parent has the right to, uh, in terms of disciplining, to uh, help children understand that delayed gratification in some instances is absolutely necessary. Um, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Those are strong words that, that the writer puts here. Moreover, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respect them for it. <laughs> How much more should we submit to the Father of our, sp of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while while they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That's Hebrews 12. In terms of the soul building. Yeah, good. Yeah. And so that looks like biblical evidence that that's at least some of the, mm -hmm. of the story. Yeah, that's good. Um, so here's a couple of worries for these initial, you know, defenses, responses. Uh, first, can either of these really handle the rose fawn scenario, right? Can either, you know, doesn't look like that has anything to do with free will, um, unless we want to say that fawns have free will, or something, you know, um, and it doesn't look like it has anything to do with soul building, unless we want to say something like, well, the fawn is going to be smarter later, and this is going to help the fawn build character, right? Um, so, yeah, uh, so that's one initial worry. It's like, can it, so maybe they can handle some cases, right? Maybe lots of cases, but can they handle every, every case? Maybe we need more, more for, other, for other cases. Um, the other worry is, I'll call, I call it the is it worth it objection. So free will seems like a good thing. Building character seems like a good thing. But are they good enough to be worth the evil and suffering that we see in the world? So um, suppose you saw someone about to commit a murder. You wouldn't think, well, on the one hand, it'd be good to prevent the murder. But on the other hand, I want to allow the, the, the villain to have free will. You would think, that wouldn't seem like a really, but you would think, I'll just tackle this guy and stop him from committing the murder, right? Um, and you also wouldn't think, well, if I allow the murder, then maybe that'll help the, the victim's family build character. That wouldn't even be a significant consideration for you. You would just say, I'm going to tackle this guy, right? Um, so you might wonder if these things are good enough to really be worth the, the really serious evils like a, like a murder. Um, does anyone have any thoughts on that sort of issue? Is this really a great enough good to justify allowing? And that puts us allowing. in the judge's seat again. Good. If we're yeah. deciding whether it's good or not. Uh -huh. Okay, and you want to say, we should, you know, it doesn't seem good enough to us, but that doesn't mean it isn't, isn't good enough. Right? Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Um, so you could think, it doesn't seem good enough to us, but that's a mistake that we're making. But then, you know, that's hard because I don't want to say that I should let people commit murder. Yeah. Do any of these people that pose these arguments ever admit that they themselves might be evil and therefore their arguments are influenced by the fact that they are evil? That's a logic problem. Not scripture, just 
Yeah. You are the you are evil. Or your 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 moral conscience is corrupt. So <laughs> you don't see correctly. So you're only yeah. looking for things that support your own personal evil. Uh, and I, I would say to Rogue, you burnt the font. You burnt the font. Oh. You wanted cheaper house prices. You wanted the forest to go in a certain way. Therefore, the forest fires happened, blah, 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 blah. But you burned the fawn. I killed Jesus. He forgives me. His death saves me. But, you know, are you evil? When you want to do this logic stuff, are you, and it's sort of back to trying to make yourself be God, but not that. Just do you admit that in these arguments, admit the person trying to do the reasoning is evil, and their reasoning is therefore influenced by some need to justify that she gave me the fruit. I, you know, I wouldn't have done it by myself. She, she made me do it. <laughs> I, I, I really like the, uh, the point about we burnt the fawn. Um, so you might think, look, the fawn scenario is presented as just a completely natural evil, nothing to do with humans, but at least most animal suffering nowadays has something to do with humans. The way we've had such a big effect on the planet. You know, we could have invested more in trying to prevent animal suffering as we expanded throughout the planet. We pretty much just ignored that, right? So you could think, um, well, maybe not all of this is unrelated to free will. Maybe a lot of animal suffering is related to human free will and human poor decision making. I think that's an interesting point. I doubt we'll get all of it in there. You know, I think 3,000 years ago it would have been really hard for humans to prevent the suffering of a fawn or something. Um, but I think you could get a lot of it in there. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, good. So, so a, a related question here is, is it matter? It's like if I prevent the murder, right, that's just a one-off. I don't take away everyone's free will for all time. But if God prevents all the murders... That's a much bigger impact on free will. Does that make a difference? So, um, I read a science fiction novel where powerful aliens show up, and they basically make it impossible for us to ever hurt each other again. Right? And that's the sort of thing God could do. Uh, and you might wonder, well, maybe that's, you know, that's a big hit to free will. That's a lot bigger hit than me just preventing one murder. So you might think that's a different type of scenario. And we would worry more about that. We would say, oh, yeah, I don't want to lose my free will uh, to that extent. Um, yeah, what do, you, what do people think? Would it be okay for aliens to impose nobody hurts anybody on, on the universe? This whole thing is, as our definition of good, the good is so it's like I want it to be. God is going to come back and remove our power for each other. He's not going to do it by restricting our free will. He's going to fix it so it's not broken. Again, their arguments are, what if your free will is broken? The murder example. There's two free wills going here. What we have in this hurricane of hell we've got is everybody's free will going against God and each other. And the cumulative effect is horrific. I think you can't really answer the question because the unintended consequences are not known to us. Mm -hmm. I will guarantee you, every time we try to design a solution, there are unintended consequences. And just like the people who think the answer to all the shootings is gun control, or gun bans, really, uh, there will be unintended consequences that, that they cannot foresee because we are God. Good, so maybe me just preventing one murder, that's not going to have a big consequence that we can't see, but preventing all murders for all time would have some bigger uh, social consequence that would be really bad or something that we can't, that we can't see. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Talk about the road fawn scenario. Sure. It's sort of 
jumps in the big middle of the situation. If perhaps I had practiced uh, good forestry uh, practices, there could have been a fire break. When the lightning hit it, with never or the dead tree could have been taken down. You know, so it's it's almost as if it jumps yeah. in the middle of the problem. Yeah, but yeah, good. Let's not under over or underestimate our responsibility, right? Could we have prevented every evil other? Probably not. Could we have prevented more than we think? Maybe mm-hmm. uh, as a, as a human collective. I I think even about diseases, like you know, what if you know humans had you know stopped fighting wars and invested in scientific research, you know, in a thousand BC, we might have cured a lot more diseases by now. So maybe even a lot of diseases that people suffer from nowadays are connected to human free will uh, in a certain way. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. What would have happened if Adam and Eve had not sinned? Mm. Good. Um, I mean, I, I, I can't even begin to think about this, but getting into God's mind, um, he created the universe with free will as an option, but suppose their free will was not to sin. And nobody and, ever fell. And yeah. no, none of this all happened. Yeah. Would that be what would that be what happens? Is that nothing bad would ever happen? Good. So you, that, that's a guess. So if you think all evil was a result of the fall, then you might think that's another way. Look, if, if humanity had never fallen, <coughs> then um, the fall wouldn't have suffered. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, again, I'm piggybacking on what Joan said. I think we're got, putting ourselves in the place of God. God created free will. We have Adam and Eve in a perfect garden in perfect bodies imperfection mm-hmm. and they chose to sin Good. because of free will and so we know better i mean god gave them free will and we know better than that but yeah let's go on to this <laughs> next uh, defense because this connects a lot to that <laughs> before we go on oh sure oh. i want that alien, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you. I want that alien to come into our house yeah. so that judy and i can stop hurting you right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
and they were in a place with no suffering, and then they chose uh, to fall away, right? Um, and Pastor Phil also sent me the story of the, um, the ten lepers, right? Um, um, it, God, Jesus heals them, and then nine of ten walk away and don't come back and Thank you, right? Yeah. Um, so, so the thought is, we're disposed not to not to choose to have union with God. Um, so God wants to rescue us from our state of separation. Um, and since we're naturally disposed to reject union with God, um, in order to persuade us to freely choose union, God must allow our alternatives to be bleak. So the thought is, look, you know the the. If, if God just heals the lepers, they'll just walk away. And then they'll think, I don't need union with them, right? So, uh, if, if we're, if to, to get us to do what he needs us to do, um, he is going to allow our alternatives to be bleak. So here's a quote from Peter Van Wagen. He's one of the Christian philosophers who defends this kind of view. He's a professor at Notre Dame. He says, uh, For human beings to cooperate with God in this rescue operation... They must know that they need to be rescued. If God simply canceled all the horrors of the world by an endless series of miracles, he would thereby frustrate his own plan of reconciliation. If he did that, we should be content with our lot and should see no reason to cooperate with him. No reason to choose him, right? Um, so that's the picture, right? Look. It's, it's really good for us, not just for God, for us, to enter union with God. But we won't do it, or most of us won't do it, unless there's bad things in the world which allow us to see, yeah, we really do need something better, we really do need God. Yeah? So, so going back to Adam and Eve, I mean, right. that, that was not necessarily free will. That was being tempted by the servant, which mm -hmm. I guess you could say is Satan. That's free will. That's free will. But they, they, they did the That's definitely free will. They but, chose. So what I'm saying is, since the beginning, I mean, there has been the, the dark one, if you will. Good, yeah. So um, so why is it kind of why a lot of temptation? You know, we could be free but never feel any temptation to do anything bad. Is that the... Well, it's just... Or, Satan has been around since the beginning of time, like everything else. There is the existence of evil, in my view. It's it's how you react to the evil. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. Um, so uh, on the connection to temptation, uh, you might think, look, if we never felt any temptation at all, then we wouldn't really have significant free will, right? It'd just be so easy to do the right thing. You'd almost automatically do it, right? So then you wouldn't really... So that might be why God allowed temptation in the garden, right? Um, because uh, because he wanted to allow significant free will or something like right. that. Yeah. In the Lord's Prayer, um, what is the petition that precedes but deliver us from evil? Yeah. See, that sequence, I think, when Jesus put that prayer together, he was really onto something in terms of what um, the potential of, of falling into sin uh, and creating the horror of bad things that, that so often we are, we are responsible for. So, John, huh? 
Yeah. Free will is being able to choose chocolate over vanilla. But you can take that at the point of, I want neither chocolate nor vanilla. I want what she's eating, and I want to take it away So there's free will that's not broken. So there is free will. You can have chocolate, vanilla, strawberry. Just don't go to that tree. And the answer is, where is it? Uh, for Lutherans, this is really an interesting thing. Because what do we believe about baptism? We believe that in baptism, there is a union with God that God initiates with us, right? And we live in that relationship until we, by our own choice, or because of a failure of family or worshiping community to help us to navigate that road to keep us in union with God. Um, and so that's why parents and godparents uh, before baptism, uh, the pastor strongly encourages them to consider their, their responsibility to preserve that union with God that is given to us in baptism. Good, yeah. Was God's own plan of reconciliation in place before Adam and Eve sinned? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a good, I might have to go to the theologian there. I think this is a, I, my understanding is that this is like a big debate was like to follow God's first plan or his backup plan. And I don't know what the consensus is on that really. Or, yeah. John chapter 1 would be probably where I would go to. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. So at the very beginning, did God have this in mind? And I think to speculate on that is uh, dealing uh, with an aspect of God that respectfully, that we have no business dealing with, because uh, Luther was very, very clear that there's aspects of God's providence in the world that if we explore and try to get our minds into it, that we will lose our faith. So, and that's why uh, part of this course is hopefully to set up realistic boundaries in terms of how far do we go with questions like this, and at what point do we say, my ways are not his ways. Yeah. I will say, I think whether it was his first plan or his, or his backup plan, he had thought this could happen. And if it does, I've got a way to make it okay. You know, because surely he knew what could happen and what, how we could misuse our free will. And he would have thought, what can I do in that situation? So I don't, so I think we should trust that he had a plan, whether it was his first plan or his let's not diminish God's uh, all-powerful, all-knowing mm -hmm. uh, characteristics. I, mean, I, you know, I don't think he worried about having a plan B. He created us yeah. as, <laughs> you know, uh, as weaklings. Okay? He knew he was creating a weakling. Yeah. Okay, he wanted to have a relationship with this weakling, but I suspect he knew very well what was going to happen. Yeah, he knew that, so, yeah, he knew there'd be a fall, and he knew what he was going to do, given that there'd be a fall. Whether it was what his, like, main goal or not, yeah, trickier question. Yeah, good. Um, okay, so here's some worries people have raised for this uh, extended free will defense. So one is, is freely chosen love and union really better? Is it really so important that God gets us to freely enter union 
with him. So, uh, suppose, you know, there's some push the other way, like, suppose my wife said to me, like, I couldn't help but love you. I would think, hey, that sounds pretty good, you know. Uh, so, so, do we care, what do you think, do we care about uh, freely chosen union or freely chosen loving relationships? Is it really better if, if that relationship is, is free? With God or with... with well, start with the human case, but with God as well. Yeah. What do you think? Does that make a difference? Yes. To, to me, if, you're, yes. if you had some children, wouldn't you rather have them loving you because they loved you rather than because you brought them off in some material way? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or alternatively, if they had no choice? Yeah, good. Well, right now, I think my son doesn't have... Much free will, probably. So you know, young. But uh, I was still, yeah, I still want him to love me. I guess. Don't. <laughs> 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 Make sure he goes to sleep. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's yeah. I was gonna say, don't parents in certain societies think they can pick better in their their arranged marriages mm-hmm. in a lot of parts of the world? Right. And then the union is not free. Well, maybe it's free only in the sense of going along with what your parents told you or something. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, maybe a point on the other side is suppose suppose in the future, you know, you can just like genetically design your significant other, you know, you can go online and like build a person <laughs> and design them such that they can't help but love me. Would that be as good? You might think, no, there'd be something missing if they didn't get any free choice to love you. Yeah. Well, to me, if someone said, I couldn't help loving you, that would really diminish their love. Oh, okay. Because I had no choice in it. Yeah. That's what that says to me. Yeah. Something else made me love you. I really don't, but it made me love you. So. You'd rather than say, I choose to love you. Yeah. I could have not loved you, and I chose chose to love you. Good. Yeah. Uh, C.S. Lewis called that, that kind of genetic engineering, mm-hmm. just that whole in making sculpting humans to be what the ultimate form of slavery. Yeah. Really mm-hmm. He's creating yeah. a slave. That can never escape because you have forced them to be. They can't help but love you. Whatever it is you want to do, you could you could make things that just fought in wars that were horrible monsters to go that way too. I hope we don't go that far. But this genetic engineering is really a form of slavery. Yeah. So yeah, if you think look, that, that, you could say it, was, it wouldn't even just be less good; it would be terrible, you know, something. Yeah. Um, and then it looks like the freely part is really. Is really important to the goodness of a relationship. But the people that bring up this argument are always talking about we can cure disease, we can cure all the congenital diseases. They don't, and that's why we address a solution. We only look at the good side without being able to see the full spectrum of what is going to happen. Yeah, and it could be that it's okay to genetic engineer to cure disease, but not to make someone love someone else. So you could think it's okay for some purposes. Not for other purposes. I think over the course of, you know, time, um, Pastor has said a number of times um, that we choose to love the person that we're with, we're we're married to. He he said he he doesn't believe in this is the only person for me Mm -hmm. in the world. This is the person I'm choosing to love Mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. And and that puts a whole tone, because if this is the only person (coughs) for me in the world, you know, that's okay, I hope I find that needle in the haystack. Mm-hmm. But if I'm saying, yes, I'm going to love her or him for the rest of my life, that's a choice. That's a, that's a free will choice. Right. That's not a, oh, I hope I get the right person. 
such um, this conversation, especially the last week, working through this material, uh, has been such an eye-opener to me, is because it has forced me to think in a way that I've never thought before. Um, I've taken for granted that um, I believe in original sin, and I've never thought about God creating us in any other different way. But that, I think, has to do with my parochial point of view, that I've never out of that way of thinking, um, the, uh, the congenital condition of the original sin that we believe has been that, that stain that comes from Adam and Eve's, that, that's, that's, a, that's a big thing, you know, and when you raise the question, uh, should God have created in a different way, right. wow, uh, and there are people um, who have that question? And how do I how do I respond? Good. Yeah. So a couple. So one thing people says. Well, what if God just loves us? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe He did create better beings, angels or something that don't have this problem. But God also loved us and wanted to create us too. You know. 
And you might think, that's okay. He doesn't have to only create the best beings. He can also create us kind of messed up buildings and try to help us, you know? And he can do both, right? Um, I'm going to skip ahead because we, I want to at least get skeptical theism on the table as well. I think a lot of you have, are, uh, so I, I'm moved by this one. So this is, pro- this is one of the more popular responses. So skeptical theists say uh, that an all-knowing being would have access to reasons uh, of which we are completely unaware. So think how much you don't know. Or, you know uh, if some, somebody really knew everything, they would have a lot of reasons to do things that you wouldn't know about and that wouldn't make sense to you because of how much you don't know, right? So given our limited perspective, it's not surprising that we are unable to see God's justification for allowing evil in the world. So look, even if there was a good reason, you wouldn't expect to see it because of how much you don't know. So when Rose says, look, why can't you tell me why the fawn is suffering? You can say, look, I didn't expect to know why the fawn was suffering because of how much less I know than an all-knowing being. So the fact that I can't see a reason doesn't mean there probably isn't a reason. Um, so the fact that to us there appears to be no greater good that justifies allowing evil is not a strong reason for believing that God is not aware of such a greater good. Right? Um, skeptical theism um, can be... Did, did we not get our uh, Bible passage on here? Maybe we... Um, yeah. Oh, we did. Isaiah 55, is that there? No. no. no got it. So there's, um, so, it's not, so there's a couple, uh, so one, uh, can you read it for the, yeah. for the group? Yeah. I, yeah. What I have in my edition is motivated by passages like Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Yeah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, um, that's pretty clear in terms of our limits. And then... Uh, yeah, in the book of Job, uh, a lot of skeptical theists think they can see this same answer in the book of Job. Because at the end, God comes to Job and he doesn't say, here's why I let you suffer. That's right. Instead, he says, you know, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Right? De- you know, look look how much, how beyond you I am. Look how much I know that you don't know. Uh, so they think, we can see even in Job, that God is going with this kind of skeptical theist answer and saying, don't expect to know why every single evil happens. Yeah. So I, I was bothered by what you were talking about with um, Luther and, and saying, you know, hey, there's there's just some stuff that you shouldn't delve into. I, I, I don't see that. I don't agree with that. Um, everything should be able to be delved into. It's, it's how you ponder that and what you do with that information. It's, it's just like the study of science. I mean, we've been genetically engineering plants, animals for decades and decades and decades, but we're just now understanding the human genome and getting to the point where you can start to see, you know, this 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 uh, DNA strand is going to cause cancer in this family line. Do you do something actively to eliminate that, or do you allow it to continue? And, and that's where society has to look at you know, the incredible capabilities that science has today, and what are you going to do with that? Um, 
in two weeks from now, we will deal with that specifically as, um, as Philip will deal with the hiddenness of God and I'm going to deal with the uh, deus abscondatus of hidden God. Not in the non <laughs> well, give me a break. You know. So, yeah. But that, you know, it's really, we hope to clarify that. You know, what's legitimate in terms of, of exploring and what's off limits? Yeah, I will say, yeah. I'm with you in that every question should be asked. Um, and, the, the, and then I think the skeptical people say, yeah, you're right, we should pursue every question. But sometimes the answer will just be, we can't expect to know the answer, and we don't Absolutely. know the answer. Um, but that doesn't mean don't ask the question. Keep asking the question, keep thinking about it, but you might think, this is one we're probably not going to figure out. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think this, this whole line of discussion we're getting into, to me, just highlights our arrogance to think we yes, know yeah. what God has Yes, we know the mind of God. And I think and there's so many cases in, in, in the Gospels where Jesus talks about if you had a hundred sheep and you lost just one, wouldn't you go to find that one? Well that, well, that lost sheep is the sinners, the evil people in the world. And I think God rejoices when one of us is evil and comes back to him. Like the criminal who was crucified with Christ and was forgiven, he wanted to go, he said, you know, remember me in your kingdom. Jesus told him, "Very, you know, this very day you will be with me in paradise. Don't we think God rejoices when that happens? We don't know, did he create evil so that people could repent and he would be happier? We don't know. And you know, a lot of these discussions are great for our mind to try to think things out, but to me it's just human uh, human uh, arrogance that we think we know what God wants. Yeah, good. Is, is the David Hume quote in your... Yeah, so... Well, let me say one thing about that. So, um, a lot of philosophers have said, it's like when they're giving, say, the extended free will defense. They say, we're not saying this is why God actually did it. What we're doing is trying to say, here's a reason that would have made sense, that could make sense. Um, so we can tell, so it doesn't, you don't have to just say, oh, we can't see any reason. Here's a reason that would make sense, the extended free will defense. Um, is that actually why God did it? Well, that's a bigger, you know, that's, who knows, right? But at least there's a justification, right? So that, I think they would want to be a little bit more humble, and I think they want to take your, your point. Let's see how much. Um, yeah, I'll read this. Day. So David Hume, it's, you know, he was giving this kind of argument to uh, undermine arguments for the existence of God, like arguments from design, but I think it actually does kind of promote skeptical theism. So he says, The great source of our mistake in the subject of God and the unbounded license to suppose that we allow ourselves is that we silently think of ourselves as in the place of a supreme being and conclude that he will always behave in the way that we would find reasonable and acceptable <laughs> if we were in his situation. And you said, wait a minute, the supreme being is going to be very unpredictable. Right? It, you can't just say, what would I do? I would help the fawn, so probably the supreme being would help the fawn. He says, you really have no idea what the supreme being would do. And that seems to suggest that this skeptical theist response to the problem of evil. You really have no idea if the Supreme Being would have a good reason to uh, to rescue the fawn or not. Yeah. 
So, okay, so we didn't get through the whole handout, but there's some more solutions you can kind of peruse if you, on your own, if you find them, them interesting. So, um, you want to do the closing prayer? Yeah. yeah. I was my observation, given all this discussion, is entirely how we can see why Congress has such trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org. 